0: Christ God in the flesh for you and for the forgiveness of your sins God fills us with his love and it overflows in an abundant way
1: as the people of God that he has called us to be from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln Nebraska this is proclaiming the one with pastors Clint poppy and Adam Moline
0: all right welcome welcome to proclaiming the one I'm pastor Adam Moline I'm here with vicar vicar Daniel Golden Uh, We have a little bit uh, different lineup today. Pastor Poppy is uh, taking some uh, uh, vacation this week, and so he'll return uh, for the next program. But uh, uh, today you have... uh Can I say it this way, Vicar? You have the B squad? Or no, maybe that's not the right way.
1: Yeah, I think we all moved over one chair.
0: There you go. So I moved up uh, in the the rankings here a little bit. This is uh, Proclaiming the One. Uh, Vicar and I are privileged to serve the saints here at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Each week we take a look at the scripture readings that are assigned for that week in the one-year lectionary. And we find out how they proclaim the one, both the one-year lectionary and the one Savior from sin, Jesus Christ. This week, we're looking at the readings for the fourth Sunday after Trinity, the fourth Sunday after Trinity, which is July 5th. So uh, Vicar, our gospel lesson is Luke six thirty six through 42. Take it away.
1: Jesus said, be merciful, even as your father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye,
0: All right, thank you very much. This is kind of a, a unique and interesting gospel lesson uh, in the way that it's presented, and I, th- I think a part of that is uh, because of the location of it in the larger section of Luke. Uh, and so, Vicar, you know, um, this is, in Matthew's gospel, what do we call this section of Jesus' ministry that he's quoting from uh God. The
1: Sermon on the Mountain, Matt.
0: Yeah, the Sermon on the Mount. And here in Luke, it's a, a little bit different context, but it's the same sort of material. It's the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, and so we have the same teachings here from Jesus uh, in Luke's gospel in just a little bit different situation.
1: So Jesus preached more than once. Yeah. in Go fact, figure. You know, <laughs> um,
0: maybe Jesus preached uh, all the time, every day. Uh, in fact, uh, I love that comment because... We have recorded for us what the contents of all of Jesus' preaching could be boiled down to repent, for the kingdom of God is near, and uh, law and gospel, essentially, those two bits. Um, So we start off uh, with these words from Jesus Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Now, what, what does merciful mean, maybe? We we don't we always just read that word, and we never actually talk about the definition and how we can understand that. It's uh, basically
1: to not get what you deserve, being a flip side of grace, getting what you don't deserve. But to be clear, it's not getting what you do deserve.
0: Right, so uh, we have this word from Jesus, this command, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And I think that we have to take that whole statement together here. Um, the reason that you're merciful to people, Vicar, is because God is first merciful to you. Had mercy upon me. Now, I think a lot of times people in our world get that backwards, uh, don't you think? It's,
1: yeah, they think it's more of a pay it forward. So they're gonna start, they're gonna be the initiator and have others do the same to others, but we are not the initiator.
0: Yeah, and that's that's really important for us to understand as Christians and as Lutherans. Uh, so we have this whole little section here. This is the first statement, and it is it is law. Um, and maybe we should talk about what use of the law this is here as well.
1: Yeah, I think this is a, well, this is what we call the third use of the law. This is how to go about your Christian life, having been saved, uh, having having heard the word. Um, and and knowing Jesus and his teachings when he says to you, this is how we live in the course of our world.
0: And and you're right. We know it's third use here because we have that part that says God starts the mercy, and in response, then we also are merciful to others. And that then continues then the next little section here. Uh, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. And all these things are saying that same sort of thing where third use of the law, this is what Christian life looks like. So practically speaking, Vicar, could you think of some ways that this is kind of played out in our our Christian lives, in our Christian world?
1: Well, sure. If one of my kids comes home late from... Being out with a friend, being out at a friend's house or something, uh, they come home fifteen minutes late. I told them to be home at nine, and they're home at nine fifteen. Um, is there going to be a consequence for that? Sure, but am I going to love them any less for being fifteen minutes late? No, I'm not. Uh, we forgive. We, you know, we rightfully forgive the wrongs, even though there might be consequences to pay here in this world.
0: Right, um, and. And then by, um, maybe we should ask this question too, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to ask it the right way. Are we going to get ourselves into heaven by not judging, by forgiving, by not condemning, by, um, all these things that are mentioned here? Is that the way that we get ourselves into heaven?
1: No, the fruit doesn't come before the tree. The tree comes before the fruit, um, Having been saved and knowing that we are Christian, this is direction for after. We are not judged, so go out and judge not. We are not condemned, so go out and condemn not. Uh, it's not anything or any works or deeds that we could possibly do to even take a millimeter towards heaven.
0: And I think uh, this uh, particular text, too, is one that's oftentimes misquoted, specifically verse 37. Um you hear that one all the time, right? Who are you? Who do you think you are to judge? Uh, why are you judging me, right? Doesn't Bible say, "Judge not"? Uh, can't can't we just let that person do whatever they want to and leave them alone because that's what Jesus commands us to do? Is that what Jesus is saying here?
1: No, it's in fact when we tell some, if I say, "Hey, Pastor Moline, don't judge that person," what am I doing? I'm judging you. Right. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's. Uh, Combating sin with sin, I suppose.
0: And even uh, to take ourselves out of it a little bit more, um, when it says "judge not," when we say someone is what it, what they're doing is not sin, that is a judgment call in itself. The only way we can know what's right and wrong without judging is how.
1: Oh, well, there's only one truth: uh, the Word of God, Holy Scripture.
0: Exactly, so when we say the same thing that scripture says, you know, you shall not commit adultery, that's the what place it usually comes up with, right, Sixth Commandment, or uh, you shall not steal, we're not actually judging, we're letting God be the judge because it's his word that's speaking this truth, not us. Um, you know, even if it were up to us as a pastor and vicar, and as you go forward, when you uh, Deal with sinners, if it was up to you alone, would you? (laughs) I always think I wouldn't really want to do all the things that pastors have to do. I wouldn't want to say what you're doing is wrong because I don't want to dive into that stuff. It's not me that's making that call, though. It's God and His Word, and His Word says what's right and what's wrong. And my job as a pastor is not to give you my own judgments, but rather the judgments of the Lord recorded for us in the Holy Scriptures, and I don't know if I'm making any sense here. Yeah, at all. you
1: want to show them the mirror of the Word of God and its effect on them, and of course, give them the
0: gospel. All right, this next section is kind of a, a weird, um, weird bit here. This is in verse thirty-eight. It says, "Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap." For with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. What does Jesus mean with all this? Because it's, it's not really language that we use.
1: Yeah, and a measure is, it could be anything that, so for example, uh, generosity calls out generosity. Uh, confidence in others wins confidence from others. Um, love is answered to by love. Whatever measure is given out, a measure of forgiveness Um, You also are forgiven. You also have been forgiven. Given will be given to you. It's a a more thorough explanation of the previous verse, really.
0: And when Jesus is giving this more thorough explanation, what sort of measuring, I mean, is he talking about here? What thing is he measuring that we can kind of give us a picture of what's going on?
1: Uh, Salvation, forgiveness of sins, um, so much abundance of God's steadfast love that it is running over. And put into your—it's funny. It says put into your lap, and it's actually put into your bosom. It's put into your put into yourself as a whole, as it comes out in the Greek.
0: Yeah, and I think the the picture then that we have in our mind is—you know—I think of um, little house on the prairie, right, where uh, you harvest your grain in the fall, and then you go and you sell it to different places, and you uh, you re- exchange it for. Different cloths and things like that. And so when you take your grain in to sell, or when you go to the grain elevator, if you're a farmer in our world today, right, they measure how much grain you have. And, you know, if you're a vicar, you can put a bunch of lead weights in the back of your truck so that your truck is heavier. Or, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't do that. But you can, there's probably ways that you can go about cheating the system. And and what Jesus is saying here is that's not the way that you're supposed to do it because that's not the way that God does it. And I think there's the gospel nugget here, right, is when we measure something, we like to err in our favor. God doesn't do that. He gives us the whole thing. Everything that uh, he promises, he pours out upon us. Everything that's important to us Um He gives to us the fullness of forgiveness, life, and salvation. That's what God promises to us as Christians, and that's what he gives to us as Christians. He doesn't skimp on the details. What do you think about that?
1: I think I shouldn't cheat on my taxes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You you heard it here, folks. Uh, The the vicar will not cheat on his taxes uh, uh, any longer. Or, no. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, well, um, with that, I think we're to our first break. We're going to take a break here, and we'll be right back in a minute with more Proclaiming the One. I love that hymn. think it's one we ought to sing a lot more in our tumultuous times. Uh, Grant us peace, O Lord, in mercy. And that goes right with why we began our uh, gospel lesson with those words from Jesus, be merciful as your Father is merciful. This is Proclaiming the One with uh, Pastor Moline and Vicar Golden. We're looking at the gospel lesson for the fourth Sunday after Trinity, which is Luke chapter 6, verses 36 through 42. We've covered the first half of it, and we're going to try and finish up the rest of it here in this particular segment as well. We just talked about um, Jesus giving this example of how to measure things and you do it the right way. You don't put uh, you know, balloons uh, to take up space in the grain when you're selling it. You don't have a funny shaped measure uh, so that you get a funny result uh, when you're selling grain, but rather you press it down, you shake it together, you let it run over and give them a little extra, uh, and when you do that for others, the same promise is there for you as well from God. And to kind of start to drive these points home about these third use of the law things that uh, Jesus has been preaching, he starts to tell them some parables, some um rhetorical question parables and so we start there in verse 39 vicar you want to read uh verse 39 to the end to get us where we're caught up
1: he also told them a parable can a blind man lead a blind man will they not both fall into a pit a disciple is not above his teacher but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's
0: eye. All right. So we start there with that parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Uh, Now, how does that work, Vicar? What would happen when a blind man leads a blind man?
1: Well, they're both going to fall into a pit or run into a wall, or they're going to get hurt somehow.
0: Right. Uh, Or even, uh, you know, in our world today, we'd say maybe they'll walk into the middle of O Street during rush hour or something, you know. Um, uh, If you can't see where you're going, you can't help someone else who can't see where they're going figure out what's going on. How does that apply to us then in a theological sense, Vicar?
1: Well if it goes back to what you said earlier about using the word of god to show people their sin and to show people how they are saved um you're if you are blind you would not know the word of god and how can you help someone else in their woes or in what they think are their blessings to uh, how can you help them to not fall into the pit when you're about to fall yourself
0: right and even the the judge right um, how could you judge a situation, as we started with, if you yourself are sinful, right? So how can I talk about someone else's sin if I'm sinful? And we get asked this question as pastors quite often, right? Or even parents that say, how can I tell my child not to do that thing that I did all the time when they, I was their age? Well, the, the answer, the thing that opens our eyes, that gives us a light to see things clearly and correctly, as you, as you just said, is God's Word. That's the thing that puts everything in perspective. I've heard it said this way. Um, it's the prism by which we can view all the things in this world, the lens that puts things into focus. And and that's the truth that Jesus is teaching here. And so the way to not be a blind person leading a blind person is to hear God's Word and believe that it's true. And that then gives us the framework uh, to examine this world rightly. and And I think that's something that's truly under attack in our world today. Where now we have this culture and this media presence and this uh, guilt society that wants to shame people for all sorts of things, but there's no forgiveness attached to it, and there's really no logical end for it either, right? Um, They're
1: every- making up their own rule and norm. When we have a script, we have the scriptures for the true rule and norm of the faith. Um- and.
0: Yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you.
1: Oh, no, that's okay. I mean, people try to use their own reason and their own judgment, bringing up judging again, to try to decide what what rule and norm might be best for their situation.
0: Right, and as that noose of these new rules and laws gets ever tighter, soon there will be no one left outside of it, right? We see this, um, well, yep, let's not get into that. <laughs> we'll take a whole nother section. Uh, let's go on to verse 40 then. Uh, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Now, the word there in the Greek is kate kater tismenos. And uh, what's that word there mean that uh, is translated here? Fully trained.
1: Yeah, it's uh, to complete uh, to complete thoroughly or. It's better rendered as uh, repaired from a brokenness.
0: Now, why might Jesus have used this particular word here?
1: Because before they are trained, they are, we, are, we are all fully broken. We're all fully broken since, since the fall of Adam and Eve. And,
0: and that's where I think this, just like we were just saying a minute ago, this is so important for us to understand and to hear right now today. All of us are broken, and it's only God's Word then that heals us and puts us back together and allows us to see things clearly and speak the truth about things. And that's why in the Lutheran Church we stick so strongly to God's Word because outside of it we have no legs to stand on, any of us. There's not anybody who's more morally righteous than another uh, when we're really honest about things. so yeah,
1: Even the Word of God starts repairing repairing that brokenness while in the womb. And then the seal of the word of God, again, added to water in holy baptism, um, promises the the reparation from brokenness that becomes fully trained.
0: Right. Yep. Um, To to drive this point home even more, Jesus gives us a different parable, another one here, uh, where your brother has a speck of uh, dust or uh, a wood chip or something in their eye, And you're there to help them get it out. But what's sticking out of your eye?
1: An entire log.
0: Now, how might that work?
1: (laughs) Well, if uh, like, let's, I guess, let's say, for example, if I were to have a drinking problem and I say, Pastor Moline, you need to stop drinking. uh, Well, before it's, it goes back to me being judging or condemning you for something that I should be condemned for myself. Um, You could take this all the way back to the commandments too. Um, Here I am being a hypocrite. I don't want to jump the gun on the hypocrite, but um, when I judge someone else, um, but I'm not walking the walk myself.
0: Yeah. Uh, When I was in college, uh, we had to watch a movie version of the gospel. Uh, I think it was the gospel of Matthew, and they were reading the gospel word for word while they were acting it out. And so, you know, when Jesus said something, the narrator would say, Jesus said, and then Jesus would quote verbatim from the scripture, and that's all it was. When he got to this part, it was great because he had a walking stick in his hand, and all of a sudden he held it out in front of his eye like I've got a log stuck out of my eye. <laughs> and and now when I'm going to lean close to look very carefully at your eye to get that speck out, I'm going to keep hitting you in the head with the log sticking out of my own eye because I won't be able to get close enough, I won't be able to see carefully, I won't be able to handle uh, the removal of a speck from your eye with the proper care because I've got my own problems. And that's the case it is for all of us in sin. We have our own problems and we need to take care of those. And what's the solution for our sin and for our problems and our difficulties?
1: Uh, Only the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ dying for us forgiving us for all of our logs and specks and wiping them clean.
0: And once once all the logs in my eyes are forgiven by the gospel and I'm healed and made well, now I'm free to be merciful, to... not condemn to not judge to show forgiveness all the things that jesus began this gospel lesson with because i've received it myself from god himself and so that's again the order that we have going here all right um you hypocrite first take the log out of your own eye now tell me what a hypocrite is
1: well a hypocrite we we say in We say in these days that it's somebody that says one thing and does another. It's pretty simple the way to look at it. Looking at the history of this word in Greek, which is actually Hippocrates, I believe, it's somebody who pretends or acts. Somebody who dresses the part, perhaps, and uh, does not walk the walk. Um, I think of, for example, when I was younger, I used to be into skateboarding. I couldn't skateboard to save my life, but I had the shoes, I had the clothes, I even had the the skater haircut. And (laughs) there was a name attached to us hypocrites. We were posers. For those of you who grew up in the 80s and 90s, you might remember that. We dressed the part, but we couldn't walk the walk. Well, that just doesn't apply to funny teenage fads, but think of your pastor you may have in church. Uh, They may make all the right moves and say all the right words, um, but if they are just a pretender a a hypocrite that is maybe even preaching a sermon hey you are breaking the fifth commandment because you are angry with your brother while your your pastor your lutheran priest is in the meantime angry at someone else um you know that can affect that can affect the ears and that's a roundabout definition of a hypocrite
0: And again, then, the only solution for this uh, acting, or I mean, that's, like you said, the literal meaning of hypocrite, actor, Uh, what's the only solution that we have for that?
1: Well, it's a two-part repentance, contrition for our sins, sorry for our sins, and believing and having the faith that the blood of Jesus Christ, um, having poured out on the cross, uh, forgives us for this hypocrisy.
0: So we have the repentance and the faith, and those are gifted to us how?
1: The repentance and the faith are are gifted to us by the word of God, in word and sacrament and holy baptism, and in the word added to bread and wine, the the Lord's actual body and blood present in the Lord's Supper for the real tangible forgiveness of sins for us.
0: Right, and that brings us then back to the beginning, right, the... um, be merciful as your father has been merciful. As God gives you the word of forgiveness and calls out your sin and pulls out your sin uh, and cuts it out very carefully and then heals you and makes you well through the word, so too then you're set free to use that word the same way for the care of the people around you and the love of the people around you. And so all that brings it back together uh, full circle in this particular scripture lesson. Well, I, I think we need to uh, take another break. We'll be back here in a minute with more Proclaiming the One with Vicar Golden and Pastor Adam Moline. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One with Vicar Golden and Pastor Moline. We've been looking at the readings for the fourth Sunday after Trinity, and we're um, we're moving on then here to the uh, Old Testament lesson. Is that what we decided, right, Vicar? Yes, sir. <laughs> um, Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. Vicar, take it away. When Joseph's
1: brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them.
0: All right. I love that statement in the middle of that. We'll get there in a little bit where it says, uh, God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Because I think it foreshadows our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who essentially his lineage, the promise of a Savior, was kept alive by God keeping the people of Israel safe during that um, that famine that they dealt with in the time of joseph so let's go back though to the beginning and we'll get there hopefully Uh, we have joseph's brothers uh and uh the father dies jacob And uh, now they're down in Egypt and there's been this conflict between them and they're starting to worry and wonder about, uh, you know, now that dad's dead, is it going to be like the Godfather part two, you know, where Fredo gets knocked off by Michael after the mom dies (laughs) or uh, are things going to continue the way they are? The brothers start to get nervous. Now, maybe we could start this way, Vicar. Could you summarize what all the conflict that exists between Joseph and his brothers, is that's been going on for years that leads up to this worry in this moment here?
1: Sure, Joseph was left for dead, um, left for dead, and ended up being sold into sold into slavery. And it it turns out that through the God's blessings and God's making it for good, that uh, Joseph gets Joseph gets the nations through. I believe it's seven years of uh, seven years of. No, ba- no harvest, no grain, and then seven years of good, and he stored it up. And now he's at the right hand of the pharaoh, as I believe it right, uh, as if, I, if I remember it right. Um, and Joseph being left for dead, sure, the brothers are going to be afraid that the next time that they face him and see him, that he's going to give payback.
0: Yeah, uh, just like The Godfather Part 2. Watch yeah. it. It's a great movie. <laughs> the best one. Um, it is. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's been this conflict there. It all goes back really to their childhood when Joseph was the favorite uh, son of Jacob because he was born from the favorite wife, and he got special favors from his dad. He got the coat, uh, the Technicolor dream coat. Um, he had these dreams and visions about uh, his brothers worshiping him, even though, not worshiping, but bowing down before him. I make sure I say the right word. Even though he was younger than them. And so there's been this conflict that's brewing and brewing and settling uh, over the years, getting very ingrained into their life where they just aren't getting along. And culminates in them attempting to murder him, selling him as a slave, and then them having to come before him and get food to survive, just as you said. So this, this is the history of, that is in their familiar relationship and we can see many similar things in our world and our relationships and our families today where there's conflict between siblings, uh, maybe brother and sister, uh, cousins, uh, uncle and nephews, things like that, all these conflicted relationships. that And so we kind of get an idea of that. And when the patriarch of the family dies, now there's no one there to keep the peace anymore, no one to tell people the truth about you did wrong, you need to apologize and go talk to your brother about it anymore. And that's the worry that the other brothers have, especially because Joseph, as, as you said, vicar, is in a powerful position. He has um, the authority of Pharaoh behind him. He has the power and army and chariots of Pharaoh behind him. And he's a very wealthy guy who can take care of the situation if he wants to. So the brothers, to kind of smooth things over, they say this to Joseph. Your father gave this command before he died. Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to them. Now, is that really what Jacob said to the brothers?
1: It doesn't appear so, no. No, yeah. The,
0: <laughs> it's not recorded for us in the Scripture. Did he say something like that? I'm sure he said things like that in his lifetime. But there's nothing recorded for us in Scripture, which probably makes this what? This statement that they say to Joseph? Uh, it,
1: come, well, we don't know. What it, do you mean?
0: It's, it, it's probably a lie Oh absolutely <laughs> right yeah uh, it's not like his last words from the deathbed were make sure Joseph forgives you okay So they, they tell a little bit of a lie they're trying to take things into their own hands to deal with things themselves and this goes back to our gospel lesson here right they're trying to take the fleck out of Joseph's eye while they still are, have what in their own.
1: Uh, a huge log in their eye,
0: right? Yeah. Their their violence, their fighting, their anger at their brother, and so there's this conflict that's still there. So, how does Joseph react when he hears the statement from his brothers? Uh,
1: in forgiveness, his brothers come and fall down in a in a state of repentance, and they humiliate themselves, meaning they lower themselves, fell down before him and said, "Behold, we are your servants." And Joseph, who is not standing in the stead of God, he even says, for I am in the place, am I in the place of God? Well, no. But uh, he does forgive.
0: Yeah. I, I love it because Joseph weeps, he cries, right? And we don't know, and it could be all of the above, but maybe just one or two of these things, but um, he, he, we don't know if he's weeping because he's sad, because his brothers are coming and and acting like this instead of just being up front. They're kind of handling it in the back, back door way. Uh, we don't know if it's because he is forgiving his brothers and he's got all those years of conflict that are kind of washing over him away. I remember when his brothers showed up in Egypt um, and uh, they talked about Benjamin and, you know, take my place, take me instead of Benjamin. Uh, Joseph wept then as well. So there's all these emotions and conflict uh, things. We are going over Joseph, but he doesn't condemn them. Instead, he drives them back to who?
1: To God. Hey, it's God that meant it for good so that uh, many, many people should be kept alive. So why, you know, as well as myself, as well as Joseph being kept alive. Heck, I'm alive. So are a lot of other people through God using me as a tool, so also should you be kept alive and provided for above and beyond.
0: Yeah, it's, a, uh, it's, it's the word of God working its work, right? He's not going to judge his brothers. That's not what he's been given to do, just like we heard in the gospel lesson. Instead, he reminds them of God's promises. He drives them back to God's word. Specifically behind this statement, Um, God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive. And I alluded to this earlier. What's ultimately behind that? There's the immediate result, the people are kept alive during the famine. But then there's the um, foreshadowing that's being done by this, pointing us to who? Uh,
1: The forgiveness of all sins. The forgiveness of all sins on behalf of the Son of God, Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, that's one on the cross by Jesus suffering, bleeding and dying and rising from the dead. All the people who have faith in Jesus are kept alive. And this this is great because the line of Jesus is kept alive by Joseph's actions, but he's still pointing them forward to the promise of Jesus, which has been the entire point of the book of Genesis, bringing that promise given to Adam and Eve, brought again to Noah, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and now to, as we know, Judah, who's one of the brothers that's doing this. All this is being foreshadowing of Jesus so that the people might look to Christ and be forgiven and be kept alive, not just for a lifetime, but forever, world without end, in the peace and comfort and joy that comes in heaven. Uh, So that's just really great, the way that Joseph is fulfilling what the gospel lesson teaches. He's giving them God's word. He's not judging them, but he's letting the forgiveness of Christ wash over him and um, setting them free from their sins so that they don't have to live in them anymore. They don't have to cower and lie before him anymore because they're forgiven, not by Joseph, but by God. I don't know if I'm making any sense at all or if I'm just it, rambling here. It does,
1: and this is a practical application altogether of the of the gospel reading that we read earlier in Luke.
0: Yeah, and, and this is how we ought to deal with people as well. When the vicar sins against me, he doesn't need to lie and hide it and all those things. He can just say, uh, I'm sorry, and I can say, I forgive you. And that goes vice versa, and it goes with your husband or wife, your brothers and sisters, your uh, co-workers, your church friends, all those things. We can speak God's word, which says, I'm sorry, you are forgiven. And that sets all of our relationships free in that regard. So um, this ends then with Joseph speaking these words, do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Uh, That's great too. The words do not fear again are words of absolution. Who else uses those words all the time?
1: Oh, uh, Jesus. And um, anytime the word of the Lord comes to a prophet, do not fear.
0: Right. So again, here, Joseph is speaking God's word and letting that Work forgiveness, Vicar. Anything else in this Old Testament lesson that we've missed?
1: No, I, I find it interesting that not only do Joseph's brothers um, live on, uh, that they're not killed in being paid back, but also that Joseph provides for you. Here's a here is a sign of Joseph's faith. He, the fruit of his faith, he will provide for you, for you and your little ones, because as God has given to him more and more. And he even goes on to comfort them and speak kindly to them. Great lessons for us.
0: Yeah, and it's all living the Christian life. You know, Joseph and his brothers, they were Christians, uh, essentially, had faith in God's promise. And that's the same way, then, that we live in relationship with the people around us. All right, with that, we'll be back here in just a minute with more Proclaiming the One with Vicar Golden and Pastor Adam Moldine. Mm-hmm. You are listening to K-N-N-A-L-P 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. All right, welcome back to Proclaiming the One with... uh, Pastor Adam Moline and Vicar Daniel Golden. We're a privileged to serve the saints here at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We worship every Sunday, in person no less, uh, at uh, 8 o'clock and at 10.30. Uh, and then again on Wednesday evenings at 6.30 as well. All those services are broadcast live on our radio station. You can listen to it at thecross957.org, or you can download our app and listen to it anywhere you want to that has internet connection. You can also find our worship services available on YouTube and uh, sign up on our website, GoodShepherdLincoln.org, for daily uh, devotions being emailed and delivered right into your inbox. It is a pretty slick deal we've got figured out here going forward, Uh, but uh, feel free to check us out in all those places. We're looking this week at the readings for the fourth Sunday after Trinity. We've looked at the gospel lesson in segments one and two, and the Old Testament lesson, the last segment. That leaves us the epistle lesson, which is from Romans chapter 8.
1: For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are The whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies.
0: All right. So we start uh, with those words, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's to be revealed. Vicar, what are the sufferings of this present time? The sufferings is
1: sin and all the effects of sin. Uh, Sin, death, and the devil, which he gets into as he talks about creation. But um, as a, you know, we talked about the practical application in the Old Testament from Jesus' specific directions and how to act as a Christian in the course of our world. Now Paul tells us it's going to hurt. You know, there's gonna be sufferings, but guess what? That hurt is nothing compared to uh the glory that is to be revealed.
0: Yeah. And so the sufferings, um you know, if we look at Joseph's situation, he was in prison. Uh he was abandoned by his brother, sold as a slave, uh he was uh accused of um mistreatment of Potiphar's wife. I I always tell my kids that was Beatrix Potiphar, but uh, that's just a joke. Um, uh, he had all those difficult things, and yet his eyes and his faith always were looking forward to the promises of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the same thing for us in our world today. We have cancer, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's. We have uh, COVID-19. We have poverty. We have hunger, starvation. We have wars. Uh, my, my children, their entire lives... Our nation has been at war, uh, half, over half of my life now. We've been at war, uh, and that's the reality of this world. There is much suffering. There is much difficulty, and yet throughout it all, our eyes are firmly fixed forward onto the promises and hope that is delivered to us in Jesus Christ. Paul then focuses here specifically, uh, he he speaks in terms of the creation, all the people and things uh, and objects that exist as a result of God's creative work in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, and they are waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. While they're waiting, that next verse says, the creation is subjected to futility. What is this referring to, Vicar?
1: Well, I know we were talking about this in one of our breaks, but imagine... Rolling the rock up a hill, up a hill, up a hill, getting almost to the top, and then it rolls all the way back down. And then doing it over and getting almost to the top and it rolls all the way back down again. You know, so also are we subjected to ungodly men, ungodly things, all of the ungodly creation that has been corrupted by sin. That is we're subject what we're subject to.
0: Yeah. And I think you said it right there when you say behind it all is sin. And and that sin comes from not listening to God's word, not believing it, not hearing it regularly, and trusting ourselves, judging things for ourselves based on our own opinion, uh, condemning things based on our own opinion and our own feelings. Um,
1: and this is a warning that we're going to be condemned. We're going to be judged by... Ungodly men, ungodly things in this world.
0: Right, and we see that happening <laughs> in our world right now, don't we? Yes, we, we do. Uh, I read an article this morning about the need to remove statues of Jesus because they don't depict Jesus properly. And I really have a tough time with non-church-going people saying that the church is depicting Jesus wrong. That that just rings wrong in my ears.
1: Um, because that's not that's
0: not what's important about Jesus Christ. Right, right. Um, so, the creation is subject to sin because creation rejected God's word. Um, in hope, we look forward then that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Vicar, how is... We, you know, It says the creation looks forward to the hope that they'll be set free. How is that accomplished for us?
1: Well, to, to be set free is to be loosed from the bondage of sin. To be loosed from the bondage of sin is only in the forgiveness of sin, um, to remove that enmity, that corruption, that can only be done by the holy blood of Christ.
0: Yeah, so this is Paul preaching the gospel. And the gospel for him is Christ crucified and risen to take away the sins of the world. He says that elsewhere. He says, we preach Christ crucified. And that's what he's doing right here uh, if we read between the lines. Then he compares it next to the pains of childbirth. Um, I know neither one of us have had a baby, Vicar, but we've been in the hospital. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) We've been in the hospital a while. Uh, People have been having babies, right? Yes, we have. And – from what you've witnessed in that regard, what is the pain of childbirth like?
1: On a scale of one to ten, on a scale of one to ten, probably a forty-two.
0: <laughs> That's what it seems. From like. From what it 22. looks like, yeah. But what's the beautiful thing about childbirth? It is painful. There's all this suffering, and what happens at the end of it?
1: The culmination of new life, new life from the womb.
0: <laughs> so your wife is screaming and hurting, and feeling pain, and says, you did this to me, never again, but after the new life comes, and she holds the, the cute little baby in her arms, what changes? Well, then you have
1: an enormous gift, an enormous gift from God, and um, the, the tears of pain turn into tears of joy, and that's from the, gift, the, the gifts that God gives.
0: Now, take that idea, and then apply it to the Christian life. How's the Christian life like that?
1: We go through our sufferings, um, but there is a gift at the end of the time in this creation that we will be completely set free, completely loosed from the pangs of this world.
0: Yeah. So right now we suffer. Right now there are challenges and difficulties. Right now we might not know how we're going to make ends meet or you know what will happen after the next election or... Even if our homes or businesses are safe, or if we're going to get the COVID and die, or cancer, which is more likely here in Lincoln, right? 26% of our people die from cancer. We have all these challenges and difficulties that we deal with each and every day. And yet, at the end, there's a reward. It's not holding a new baby. It's something even better, if you could imagine that. Not that babies are not important, but it's the peace, comfort, and joy of being with God in his kingdom world without end that's what's ahead of us that's the promise that's where we're headed and that allows us then to make it through this world of suffering and difficulty and challenges the
1: tears of pain mean nothing when the when the joy of being in God's presence comes upon us
0: I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is yet to be revealed to us. That's, I mean, to use the words of our text exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah, Uh, not even worth comparing in the same sentence.
0: So then in verse 23, um, Paul has been talking about the creation generically. uh, Everything that we know and exists is looking forward to the hope of forgiveness, life, and salvation. In verse 23, he takes that very broad word of God and he narrows it down, and he applies it to us, to you. Um, Vicar, why is that important that he does that?
1: Well, he tells us the source of these first fruits that are going to happen, the source of the rejoicing that is going to happen, um, is from the Spirit. And we find the Spirit directly, consistently, always attached to the Word of God, to the Word as it is rightly taught, rightly preached, attached to water and baptism and added to bread and wine for the forgiveness of sins.
0: And and with all that he's making sure that you understand the gospel is specifically for you, for us, for for the person listening to the radio show, for the person sitting in the pew. It's not just you out there in the creation generally speaking. He narrows it down to make sure yes, even you in your sufferings, in your groanings, in your difficulties, have the promise of forgiveness, life, and salvation in Jesus Christ, as you said, brought about through the first fruits of the Spirit, the Word, the sacraments. Those deliver that forgiveness, life, and peace to you. And that's really great the way that he does that then. He takes it from objective justification, God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, and makes it into subjective justification. Even for you in your sufferings, you have that hope. Vicar, anything else on the uh, epistle lesson here today?
1: Uh, no, not necessarily. Just that uh, it shouldn't be a surprise to us, the sufferings that we go through. We see what Joseph went through. And we didn't bring up Paul, but Paul was shipwrecked three times. Uh, Paul was lashed 39 times on seven different occasions, one short of death. Um He's certainly gone through sufferings, and we go through sufferings now. But even though we know that the suffering in this creation hasn't stopped, uh, all the more greater will be the redemption of our bodies. All the more greater will be the, the glory of God and His company as we leave.
0: Yeah. All right, Vicar, would you uh, bring us to a close with the collect of the day?
1: Let us pray. O oh Lord. Grant that the course of this world may be so peaceably ordered by your governance that your church may joyfully serve you in all godly quietness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
0: This has been Proclaiming the One. We're really glad that you joined us today. On Sunday morning, when you get up, uh, hit your alarm, turn it off, drink your coffee, Read the newspaper, go to church, pray for your vicar and for your pastors, uh, and uh, God bless your day.